0: hello and welcome to the first episode of season four of the page one podcast I'm Tarek
1: I'm Marco and yes welcome back everyone if you're if you're rejoining us if you're a long time listener I hope you've all been well and doing okay during lockdown which is easing a bit in the UK but uh, still still yeah, ongoing right yeah
0: feels like kind of hard to believe we're coming into June already at the time of recording. It's, uh, no. It's months have gone by and I feel like I've just been sat inside for so long.
1: <laughs> no, not much different from any other year, really. Let's be honest <laughs> I've never played so so much video games. <laughs> um, <laughs> for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, at the Page One podcast, we tried to talk to writers of all kinds, authors, comic book writers, screenwriters, video game writers, any kind of writer, about how they got a break into their industry and uh, what their writing process is, chat about their work and try and get as many hints and tips as possible from them about writing because th- that's what we want to find out and I'm sure it's what a lot of you want to find out as well. And and before we go on to who we've got as a guest this week, and it is an exciting guest this week, uh, we I also just wanted to let you know about a new project that we're that we're going to be starting very soon. Uh, which is will hopefully again serve as something to inspire your writing and distract you from the news at the moment. Do you want to tell them about that, Tarek?
0: Absolutely. So we are about to launch uh, some very exciting video panels. So we've got a few of our old guests back on. We've paired them up and we're going to film a chat with them. So similar kind of ideas we've done so far, but with more than one person, a bit of interaction. The first one is with Tim Lebin and Sarah Pinborough.
1: yeah. And we'll be recording that uh, next week uh, at the time of recording when this podcast episode is released. And we'd love to have questions from you guys to put to Tim and Sarah. Uh, Tim has his new book Eden out and uh, Sarah has her new book Dead to Her out in the US, but it's coming out in the UK later on in the summer. So if you've got any questions for them, we'll be posting about this on social media as well. But you can either reply to our social media accounts or you can drop us an email at podcast at rightgear.co.uk. But who have we got on this week's podcast, Eric?
0: This week we have a comic book writer and an author, Alex DeCampi. She's written a couple of graphic novels, Bad Girls, Bad Karma, and most excitingly for me anyway, uh, Maddie, which is an upcoming one with Mr. Duncan Jones, which is on Kickstarter right now.
1: Yeah, that's been making big waves on Kickstarter. Uh, Mm. It's already made lots of money uh, and... Uh, a lot of backers including me <laughs> have already backed it um but we will we'll, we'll uh, put links to to that in in the podcast description but she's also just released her first book this week in the UK called The Scottish Boy which is a thrilling LGBT uh, adventure story set in medieval Britain um, we had a great chat with Alex about her writing process and how she writes comics as opposed to novels and what differs and what doesn't. And also got a lot of tips about how to get started in the comics industry in particular. So it, it, I thought it was a really interesting chat. Yeah,
0: uh, it's, a, it's a really fantastic chat. I think everyone will get a lot out of it. But anyway, that's enough from us. We'll be back at the end of the podcast for some more chats.
1: Speak to you then. The Blank Page. To some, it's terrifying. An obstacle to overcome.
0: Every story starts with page one.
1: Did you always want to tell stories and write?
2: Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I did a bunch of other things first Mm -hmm. because uh, my family wasn't really into the idea of me going into the creative arts. Um, But yeah, yeah, I'd always loved storytelling. I've always kept notebooks, you know, with stories in them. The early ones are quite bad, of course. (laughs) I mean, some of the current ones are probably quite bad, but one carries on nonetheless. Um, it's rather nice to see them all stacked up. Like, you know, I've been uh-huh. doing this for a while and, and I still write on paper a lot, especially when I'm working out the beginnings of a story. Um, so to see, see them exist as a, shell, you know, a whole shelf
1: uh-huh. on my
2: bookshelf is, is, is quite nice
1: and how is it because i think you did you were i don't know if you still are but you certainly did you were involved in um video like music videos and and commercials and things like that so yeah i
2: directed a lot of music videos mm-hmm. i mean i have a very visual imagination right. um i'm very bad of names but i don't forget faces mm-hmm. and um telling pictures with stories uh telling stories with pictures god sorry i'm backwards already um uh, <laughs> Telling, telling stories with pictures came very naturally to me. And that's why I do, Yeah, that's why I persist in graphic novels, um, unfashionable and unprofitable, though it might be. Um, I enjoy the collaborative work element of it. And I enjoy um, describing things using only pictures, seeing if I can get across a feeling or a mood or a character moment without dialogue.
0: And I suppose there's a a kind of overlap there between the music videos and the comics in the sense that it's a very visual medium. And, yeah, as you say, you're doing things without a lot of words.
2: I I mean, you're right. It is. I I think um, one of the things that helped me out most in comics was uh, storyboarding my own music videos and and Mm -hmm. cutting video to figure out, you know, how what kind of shots go together, what scenes go together, how to do transitions you know, how long to stay on a moment. So there was a lot of that I did in a very hands-on DIY way. Yeah, you know, my storyboards are not beautiful. I should never draw a comic. It, <laughs> you know, it, it would be a mistake, especially given that I have so many talented friends who do it so much better than I do. Um, but it, it really taught me a lot. And still to this day, I, I do a lot of really hands-on work on my comics. I do all the lettering myself, which if you are not a comics person, means I put not only do i i write the script i generally find the artist the, the line artists and the colorist who are usually friends of mine or people i like um we make the book and then when the pictures come back i actually put the words in the word balloons on the page and i draw the word balloons and stuff and, and comics is, is um it's unusual for a writer unless the person is doing the whole book and there are lots and lots of very talented people who write, draw and letter their own books and can just do it all themselves. Bless them. I'm not one of them. Um, but it is rare for someone who, you know, quote unquote, only writes to then go back and do the letter. And usually that's put off on somebody else. Um, and I started doing it because I just didn't have the money to pay a letterer, And I'm not going to ask people to work for free. Um, you know, I, I come from the North. People die of exposure up there. Um, <laughs> And I got really good at it and became part of my process. Uh, and now, even though there are still much, there are still more talented letterers out there than me, it's very hard for me to give it up because for me, I then you know I look at the art when it comes back, and we've had a continual discussion between the team of you know about the page and about what we're trying to get across, which isn't about me or, or the artist or the colorist. It's about the story. Um, and frequently admit it involves me admitting I scripted something wrong. Um, Like just today, I got a page of Bad Karma from Ryan and I looked at it, page 75, it was pencils for page 75, and I looked at it and I looked at the script, which is always incredibly important to do when you receive art, even though you just want to go, oh, it's so pretty, thank you for (laughs) drawing the book, Um, uh, and realize that, you know, we should swap panels four and seven, which were drawn the exact same size because of the way he designed the page. But because of the way I'd written the dialogue and the way the scene flowed, it would do much better for those panels not to be redrawn, but just to be moved. Um, And that's another thing you learn working in a collaborative atmosphere is is when you fuck fuck up the script, which will happen on an almost daily basis. (laughs) um, You then have to figure out the easiest and least painful way for your creative team to fix it, um, which sometimes means just changing the dialogue or changing the scene. And sometimes it's like, oh, well, this would be so much better if you're willing to do that or that. Um, and swapping those panels was a, was an easy easy and very effective fix for um, making sure a moment really landed and, and that the focus at, at the end of the page was on the character I wanted it to be.
1: I mean, that is <laughs> quite a unique thing to do, I suppose. Uh, certainly, I've never heard of many others writing the script and then doing the lettering, but it is, you're, you're sort of there at the start of the process and then at the end as you say you're you're able to then yes. look it over and, yeah. and say oh well maybe this needs changed or whatever so yeah it's quite a
2: sometimes you just don't need the dialogue that you put in there mm-hmm. because the art cares. sometimes you need a little bit more dialogue um and it just, mm-hmm. it's so helpful because you you've often written the script two years beforehand so to look back at it again and say okay well how can I how can I tailor this to completely fit the art um you know maybe you wrote too much i with a lot of, with having done a lot of lettering i'm now uh, I, you know i I've, i'm now quite honest about the amount of words i can put on a page and that's another important thing is is learning how much you can and can't cram into a page and if you want to put a lot of words on a page how you have to uh look at yeah, how, how, how that changes what the amount of art you can put on the page mm-hmm. um it's just really fun, and I like design. And uh, you know, I have my own style, and, and people seem to like it. Nobody complains too much. Um,
0: <laughs> I can see that being quite a really, uh, really strong set of skills, though, because I mean, I think you're right in that there's a lot of comics you read, and you are surprised by how little dialogue there is sometimes for pages, but you're still able to follow the flow of the story. Yeah. And there's sometimes, like a Bendis comic, where it's almost like a, a kind of Iron Sorkin rapid fire, loads of dialogue. And the dialogue and where it sits on the page to guide the reader through the page so they can follow who's speaking next, et cetera, That that's a difficult thing to do. And I suppose having control of that as a writer must be a nice bit of creative control that, you, that a lot of people won't have.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, you're supposed to be you're supposed to do a lettering script anyway, which means looking at the art and then adjusting your script for the letterer to, to put everything on. A lot of writers don't do that. A lot of letterers then have to fix things because writers are like, oh, I didn't realize it was going to be like that. Well, mm-hmm. you have to put the work in. Um, but I just simply don't have a letterer to turn to. I am the letterer, so, it, you know, it's all on me. And it would, take, it, would, it would take as much time for me to do a lettering script for somebody else as it would to just letter the book at this point. But it it's not. Nice then it's very calming because it's a different kind of, you know when the pandemic first struck and all of us were a bit we're spinning a bit and kind of dealing with this huge cosmic stressful load I, I lettered a lot of comics it was just a very meticulous skill that I could do that was creative but not like whole brain creative yeah mm-hmm.
1: totally and how how was it that you made then that first step or transition from directing videos into comics. Uh, how did you first break into the, the, the industry? I mean, I was
2: writing comics around the same time as right. I was directing. Um, you know, I just fell in with the wrong people in London. I always knew a bunch of musicians and a bunch of comics art, comics right. creators. <laughs> you know, you sit around the pub with them long enough and sooner or later someone asks you to direct a video or or or, or, or write a comic for them.
1: Cool. Um, uh, and, yeah. and then since you did that you you i mean you you have written a lot of comics and from uh, you know i follow you on twitter and stuff and you've got a lot lot in the pipeline as well which we will come to um uh, at the, near the end but um you've done a, a variety of different things you've done some sort of creator own stuff and some um or whatever the opposite of creator-owned is, <laughs> uh, uh, work for hire. Yeah, work for hire. work for hire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, um, which, what is the difference between those processes, and which do you prefer?
2: Uh, I vastly prefer creator-owned, um, and that's true. Creator-owned, we own all the rights to the stuff, except mm. for except publishing. You know, we keep all the film rights and stuff. A lot of comics that say they're creator-owned aren't really creator-owned. The, the publisher takes a huge chunk of film uh, because the publisher isn't actually profitable on publishing and our industry is very strange. Um you know, I, I enjoy work for hire, I take very little of it because I early on I had a couple of very bad experiences with work for hire editors who were um profoundly unprofessional and it it kind of warned me off that. And then, you know, you listen to things like folks like Ed brubaker who wrote the Winter Soldier books, who created mm-hmm. the modern Winter Soldier as we as we know the character. You know, they didn't even tell him that the Winter Soldier was going to be the next Captain America movie until until he arrived at Comic Con and saw the banners, and he got paid oh, wow. probably seventy dollars a page to create Bucky, and in return he got a walk on part in the movie, and then he—that's that, not. That, that, yes, yeah, exactly.
0: I always I always assumed that he was quite involved in the process. That he that he oh, no. that they would they came to him and said. We love what you did, with did, did we wanted to take that and put him into the film? And you know, I mean, I had maybe not helped him that much, but I assumed there was some kind of involvement with the it, but there was nothing at all.
2: You got a walk-on part.
0: Well, <laughs> there you go. You
2: can spot him immediately. He looks very embarrassed. Bless him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have
0: to watch. i to watch that film again now and try and try and see him.
2: That was pretty much the last um, work for hire work he did. He only does creator owns. Then he went off and produced and wrote Westworld, and now he has a lot of money. So you can work for a corporation. Oh, I didn't
0: realize he went to work on Westworld. Yeah, because he he did, he did the criminal stuff, right? Is he is, yeah, is so that he his can, work? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh, very you know, cool. He, he kind of was a big inspiration in a way, and that you know he ends up deciding to be his own corporation. He he just said, forget this. I can I can do my job as well or better on my own. Um, and he did, you know, walked away from Marvel after that. Thank you very much. I mean, every so often he'll write like a little story for them, but it's, it's you know, he's not, that's not his world anymore. And I think it's kind of a mugs game to do this. I mean, you know, it's hard to say. Like for me, it's a mugs game because pay, being paid 60 to $70 a page and having all your rights taken away and then the making a film off, it seems like a really crap deal. But also... You know, I don't love these characters the way some people do. And, you know, some people really, really want to write a Star War um, comic and or a, or a tie-in novel or, or, you know, or work on a Steven Universe comic. And and I can't, you know, I have a friend who loves Xena, the warrior princess, and was delighted to work on the Xena comic, even though I, I know what that publisher's rates are. And I was like, my God, really, you're working on that? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not even McDonald's money. and um yeah like i can't i can't take away that the joy that brings people like some people really want to do that and i you know people should do what makes them happy and that makes them happy it doesn't make me happy so i don't do it um you know also i'd have to just watch a lot of tv shows that i don't really want to watch in order to do <laughs> Even a mediocre job of this, because you know, I, I don't really have a B game. I always bring the same amount of effort to a project, and I'm very meticulous, and I do a lot of research. Um, i mean to Archie versus Predator. I read like a thousand pages of Archie comics, you know, all these digests. Um, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I don't do half-ass gigs, and I, you know, the, I can't do it for the pay they give and the, the amount of time it takes. I'd much rather do something on my own. Full disclosure. You know i i have a side job like i'm i'm a single mom so i you know i can't live from month to month i have to make sure i have things like savings um and so i have a, you know i have a side editing gig that is not related to comics or the creative arts at all which covers all my monthly expenses and then a bit you know so anything i get from from my writing is just is extra on top um i mean i'm, I'm still not like rolling in it <laughs> but I know I'm gonna. I, I know I've got a monthly paycheck coming in, and that allows me to uh, not have to chase the little gigs that I don't really want. I can just write the things I want to, which is a wonderful position to be in. And I've I put myself in it quite specifically. Um, you know, I I know people who write nine different monthly comics a month uh, a month, like they're writing nine page scripts a month, and I I can't imagine doing that. I just like that. That was my definition of hell. I, I you know, I, I, don't know how. Like, they must be much, much better writers than I am because there's no way I could, I could, I couldn't maintain quality on five monthly books a month, mm-hmm. much less not.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a strange thing because we've spoken to a few um, uh, writers in in the comics industry, and they've all said the same thing, which is that, you know, they love it, and they love the medium, and it is such a unique medium to 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 write in and create in, but across the board it seems to be even even people that you know write for marvel and things like this there it's not a it's not a great paying job unless you're like i think there's maybe probably a handful of people that that do make that are able to now cash in on their name and and make more money but as an industry it just doesn't seem to pay um its creators very well and and no I just,
2: it, it really doesn't yeah. um, and i i i would rather do creator creator owned work where I'm paid almost nothing up front, and then you know they make a movie out of it, they pay me a lot of money, uh-huh. than um, you know be paid a pittance for something the corporation's also going to make a movie out. Of.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way good of doing it because of of um, saying it because you've got essentially you can either create something you, uh, that you completely own yourself and that you have all the proceeds from, or you create something like the Winter Soldier which goes on to be a massive success and you see nothing because that was, that you're creating it for somebody else. And that, and that is the big, the, the big, the big difference.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and so if, if we have, if we have people out there listening who, who are, you're who saying, right, okay, so forget Marvel and DC, I want to create my own comics. You know, what's your advice for, for them to make that first step into the industry?
2: Gosh, I mean, um, you just have to make a comic. Um, and it's a slow process. Um, and you should start off with short things. Don't start off with your 60-issue quasi-vertigo epic. You will never get it finished. You, <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> you know, find an artist you can work with. Go to conventions if we ever have them again. Go on Twitter. You know, you have to be a little bit social as a, as a writer because you, you're essentially the producer. You're the person who gets all the bodies together. Um, and you have to be, you know... A civilized human being about it you know it, it I, I i have heard comics well-known comics pros say they can write a script in a day i cannot scripting a 20 page issue i don't do the issues i do books um but i can't write 20 pages in a day i, I would not um again they might be they must be better writers than I. Um, a page of art takes a day at least uh-huh. so if you are asking somebody to draw a 24 page comic for you, you're essentially asking for a month of their life and you should pay them something <laughs> to do that. And, you know, I, I will reach through the internet and smack people if they start talking about <laughs> it. That, it doesn't matter. You know, people should still be paid for their work. Huh. So you want to start off short for a number of reasons. One, you probably don't have a bunch of money lying around to fund an, an entire book. Um, two, Finishing things is a habit. And this is, this carries up to anything in the creative arts. You know, you have to finish things. Um, once you finish one thing, you can move on to the next. If you leave a bunch of things unfinished, you know, you'll never get anywhere and never have anything to show for it. Um, so you should look to finish like an eight, 10, 12 page comic, do a web comic, you know, do an old six panels a, a, a day kind of thing. Um, you know, pick, there's so many mo- there's so many different ways you can make comics out there, and so many good standalone shorter formats that you know you can do. All the stories can be interlinked. That's fine, but each story has to stand uh-huh. alone as a unit. So when you finish that one, you can show it to people, and not, it, it doesn't end on a big cliffhanger. Don't end on cliffhangers. Don't be that asshole. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I bought a I bought a I bought a book from, on Kickstarter from a fairly well known creator um that didn't say it was part one of a series and it ended on a great big cliffhanger and i thought you asshole i'm never playing (laughs) 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 i I was expecting a self-contained story so do short self-contained stories they can be with the same characters it doesn't matter but do them find an artist for them work with the artist finish it and then you'll have something that you can print out on your office printer or whatever and, or on, at the library or something and hand it to people and be like, here's the thing I did, or you can put it on the internet or you can put it on Webtoons. You know, you just, you just have to finish short projects because you don't get better until you actually finish it and then look back on it and say, you know, gee, that moment needed, needed more space or like, I should have," I didn't feel that panel was right when the artist drew it and I should have gone back and talked to them um, and asked for notes. Like, it, 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 it's such a complicated process. It, creation in general is such a complicated process. You learn it by doing. And, you know, your first, your first hundred pages are going to be crap. Uh-huh. They just are, you know, nobody springs forth fully formed like Athena from Zeus's migraine as a creator. You've got to do a lot of shit pages. And that's another reason you do the short stuff because, you know, you, you're, you're going to be like, well, I have this giant sci-fi epic, Alex, like it's ready. I'm totally committed. Like, trust me, it's, it's garbage. And in five years, <laughs> you're going to be like, holy shit! thank all the saints in heaven that that did not get published. <laughs> because it is just really not where I am right now. Yeah. Because you learn a lot about yourself when you're creating and, and you have to get over a lot of things and you realize, especially as you create different projects, like you have a theme that you keep wrestling with and maybe maybe you should look into that or, or have therapy. Um <laughs> or in your entire comics career like therapy, like Tom King does. Um, <laughs> Jesus. um I wanna I wanna get that man a started for therapy. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it, it is a, it is because a, 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 I, I've, I've, I when I write like I've written books, but also I, I like try to write comics, and I've recently had an artist, found an artist, and we've been creating stuff. And it is it's a, it's a unique thing, though. I think when you when you write a comic, that you you know you get unlike a book or especially a screenplay or something, you immediately get. Some, it becomes real when that artist sends those pages through to you, and suddenly, oh, and, it, and it might true. not be exactly the same as you had in your head, but that's it's still great. You know, it's something that was in your head, and now it's a collaboration that's that's turned up some art. It's it's amazing.
2: And it's really interesting, especially if you're coming from prose, about how the the existence of a page and the number of panels you can fit on a page influences your story pacing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Where you know, a, a prose, in prose, a scene can be as long as you want it to be. Uh, I mean, it can be in comics as well, but you know, you're cho- you're trying to choose to end your scenes or have them peak on the odd-numbered pages, so people have mm-hmm. to turn the page yeah. to, to to find out what comes next. And so you get this very different feel of pacing, where you're just you get the like over the each spread, you're kind of like taking it down and then taking it up again in terms of pace and 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 interest and, and plotting. Um, I had a great problem when I went from the other direction because I started in comics, and though I'm an avid prose reader, um, more nonfiction than fiction these days, but, you know, obviously grew up steeped in fiction. So much bad sci-fi, my God. Um, <laughs> fantasy. I at, like, little Alex had some really bad taste <laughs> um, And um, so when I went back to, to prose from comics, I decided I want to see novels as well. Um, I had this great trouble, and in, in my comic style is very, very spare. Like, there's a lot of silence, there's a lot of subtext, there's a lot of visual metaphor and things not said. Um, and then I went to prose and, and I, I do a lot of action as well. And there's a, just a lot of tension in my books. And I went back to prose and I was used to, and I, I'm very fond of very lyrical descriptive prose writers. Um, and then I'm trying to write, like, I write what I always write, which are like action, like suspense thrillers. Like everything I do ends up being kind of a suspense thriller somehow. Um i tried the scottish boy was supposed to be a romance my agent goes how many people died on the first page On the first chapter like <laughs> a lot um so you know I, i've given up now this is what i do it sometimes it's a little more romancy sometimes it's a little more noir but it's it's actually it's, 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 it's suspense um and i was working out in, in real time how to do that in prose not in the scottish boy i I actually went off to, to fanfic and was writing fanfic for a okay. while um just as a way of kind of like kicking out the jams and practicing in, in, in a small supportive community where I it couldn't be traced back to me really. And I could just fool around and I could fool around with the format. Cause I had pre-existing characters and, and, and situations. And I just had to kind of move them around a bit. So there was, there was less to focus on overall. Uh-huh. Uh, and that went really well, but it, I, I, I know it took me 70,000. It took me almost exactly 70,000 words before it was like, okay, this feels like my voice. Because I knew what my voice was. I knew what it was in comics. It was porting it over the prose and having that kind of very arid, fast paced, um tense style, but with like certain really like descriptive moments. Uh-huh. And I still think it's hilarious because people th- th- say, Oh, your prose is so descriptive, and I'm like, it's it's, it's not, it's not descriptive at all. It's just <laughs> a delusion of descriptiveness. You know, it, I only describe certain things, those but those things happen to be the ones that you remember.
0: When you when you come to to writing, and we'll go more into how you made the jump and stuff, and, and, and what the book's about. But, but when you when you when you write as support when you write a book as opposed to writing a comic, do you still approach it in the same way? In that you've got the image in your head, or you've got the theme that you want to get across. It's just the means by which you you make that clear to the is different.
2: Pretty much, um, you know. Sometimes, sometimes a, a book just ends up being. Sometimes something I think is going to be a novel turns out to be a comic. The the YA graphic novel I'm pitching now um, was something I've been playing with for a long time in my head, and then I just got this overwhelming image of you know a boy sitting in, on a jungle gym in, in 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 the American Midwest, which is extremely flat, corn everywhere, like so flat. You have like, it's mind-boggling how flat it is. Um, <laughs> looking out into the sunset, and I was like, "Shit, this is a comic. I don't want to do it. I want to do it." I have too many comics on right now. I want to do a novel, but no, it's a comic. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, they all start out the same way. Um, and I think my comic style has gotten a little bit more documentary as I've been moving into prose. Um, I, I need to push it in the other direction. I've got some collaborations with friends lined up who are much more like superhero so they can push me into something more dynamic and less controlled and less like, you know, less like bad karma in a way which is which is very which is very kitchen sink in some places um mm-hmm. which i love i mean i love that about I, I i'm completely married to bad karma as a book i've uh, terribly sad if no one likes it actually i won't care but i because I, I love it but <laughs> I, I hope it does well um
1: do you want a, um, do you want a, that bad karma's uh, comic that's, that's just out now do you, do you want to give a quick um pressy of, of- of that for the oh, listeners yeah, sure. um,
2: it's, it's a it's a comic we're serializing monthly it's a graphic novel that we're serializing monthly on panel syndicate which is a, a very small web comic site uh with a it's very highly curated it's got works by me uh brian vaughn uh ed brubaker marcos martin david lopez who's wonderful uh jay fairberg who writes a lot of the supergirl tv show uh has a comic there um so it's, it's a very small group of, of fairly senior comics people just doing fun stuff digitally. Um, and Bad Karma is about um, uh, two veterans, uh, Sully and, and, and Ethan. They're from, they're from South Boston, which is a particularly working class part of Boston. Um, and uh, they're both disabled in some way. Ethan has physical disability. They, they, got, they got blown up. Um, Sully has a traumatic brain injury. Um, and so, you know, Sully's still in doing mercenary work. Ethan's essentially on disability. It's Christmas. Uh, they come home. You know, Sully flies back from wherever he's working overseas. They come home, sit down, um, and realize as they're watching the news about this, this guy who's going to be, uh, uh, who's, who's on death row in Virginia, that the crime 10 years ago that this kid was accused of is a job that they did for the government. And these two guys who have nothing going for them right now, um, you know, the Ethan's divorced, um, doesn't see his kids much. Uh, we meet his ex-wife. Um, they decide to go down and basically fess up that they're just like that. This, this this guy should not be on death row. These these he's completely innocent. We did the thing for the government. Of course, this is not a popular move. Like nobody believes them, and the people who commissioned him to do it are want this thing absolutely buried and will bury them with it. So it's about, it's, it's a, you know, I love action films. I love military action films. You know, I love the work of folks like Shane Black. Um, I'm really bored of the white special forces guy goes outside America and shoots a bunch of brown people action movie. Like I'm, I'm just tired of it. I think we've done that. I think it's, I think it's horribly racist and not really good. Um, And it always portrays these guys as like kind of like super heroic, able to get through anything. And I've known a lot of, army guys and i've known some special forces guys and i've known a bunch of mercenaries they're goofballs um <laughs> <laughs> slightly nuts goofballs but goofballs and so th- that that informs a lot of what happened in, in bad karma and the personalities involved but i was more much more interested in, in saying like instead of sending like the most like peak human you know heroic person to do the heroic thing what if we send the least likely people to do the heroic thing you
1: yeah. know that's always um, <laughs> a more interesting setup yeah. for a story.
2: And it's very yeah. it's very much a character story as yeah. well. You know, you they, they are they aren't like weird lone wolves without families. Nobody's wife died to actualize their, their vengeance or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, Ethan still has this huge network of family that you know, that informs a lot of what he does. I mean, he's not the world's greatest dad, but also there's a point at which his ex-wife is like, if you know, if you do this, like what happens if you die? Like, what happens to your kids? Like, are you just gonna like, what about them? Um, so, it, actually, the the inclusion of having him have a, a a very much alive family who stays alive throughout the whole thing, nobody dies, enables much more complicated character choices than like, oh, he's a lone wolf, you know, he yeah. can just do whatever he wants, like.
1: So what I think we can say is that Mark Wahlberg isn't going to be starring in the movie version. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to the Scottish boy, uh, w- w- which I've been reading, um, it- it's it's a it's a story set in medieval Britain, which uh, is, uh, I mean, what made you want to tell a story uh, in that setting? I mean, I grew up
2: reading. Um... Where I grew up in the U.S., uh, there was a local illustrator called Howard Pyle, and he did a beautifully illustrated set of the King Arthur tales. And like every kid in the state had one. Um, it's the sort of thing that an auntie would give you for, for, for Christmas. Uh, and I love them. I absolutely, I devoured them. And so I've always been interested. I've always been interested in history anyway. And my a lot of my previous work has been set in historical times, not this far back, but, you know. I did Bad Girls in set in Cuba in 1958. And that kind of taught me that I could do this uh-huh. um, if I did the research. And like I said, I'm quite meticulous. I do a lot of reading. Um and I I wanted to do, you know, I kind of want to do a story that was that was almost like a Western or or a thriller, but was set in the medieval era. Um just because it was like Stories set in the Middle Ages always feel really like there's always a certain way they go and they're always presented in a certain... It's, I, I feel there, there's a certain commonality in the way that we look like, mm-hmm. look at medieval times. And I just wanted to kind of shake that up and be like, could I write a thriller but set in 1333? Yeah, um, And, you know, I think I succeeded. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no, it was it, a tremendous time to research.
1: It definitely has that feel of uh, you know, it, it gets the setting completely you're completely in that world but at the same time it has the feel of a modern story which is by the sounds of it exactly what you were wanting to do
2: yeah that's what i was trying to do i mean Mm. i wanted to i wanted to put people in this world but without it, almost without them consciously having to adjust their thinking Mm -hmm. to it yeah um Mm -hmm. And there are things that are very different that you come across, like you know, the fact that if you get a room at the end, you're just staying with whoever on the bed, like some stranger, like you. Huh. Um, privacy wasn't a thing then, um, not in the way that we think about it now. That was a Victorian concept, as was so much else. Um, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted the, the the time to feel very visceral and real, and and and. It, you know, it honestly wasn't that hard to do because you think about things like you know going. To, I don't know if you've gotten to the bit where we, where they're starting to go to tournaments, uh-huh. but it's like a music festival. You know, it, 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 you just you go out, you pitch a tent, there's stuff. You know, so if you've ever been to a big music festival, it, 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 you kind of get that same feeling as they're going from from tournament to tournament, um, and you know the same feelings of being exhausted, <laughs> really wanting it all to stop.
1: And it, 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 you also said that it's um, you know it started. I think did you say that the Scottish boy in particular started out as it was meant to be a romance, but then it turned into a thriller. Yes. And it's definitely it's kept that that um, concept in the book definitely because there's a there's a there's a relationship in the book that's sort of central. It's <laughs> okay. key to the story you know it's what yeah, drives I mean, the story like,
2: you know, the relationship between the, the two main characters mm-hmm. is, is drives the whole story forward oh. and drives a lot of attention in the story so you know it's not just outside there. The, although there are a ton of outside factors acting on, on Harry and Ian it, it's also very much about the two of them um, and who they are as people and um, and fundamental mysteries surrounding that and so forth um, so the 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 Emotional arcs there just makes the story so much stronger. I mean, I think coming into things from a very action thriller perspective, and possibly having a chip on my shoulder originally, as a woman creator wanting to work in this space, which was very very male dominated, especially in comics, and still is, to the point mm-hmm. where they won't look at they won't. Um, it's it's not a, a conscious bias, but they won't look at women women to write a lot of the big male superhero characters because they just don't think we can write men, which is hilarious. Yeah, exactly. um, and us. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I came in with a sort of chip on my shoulder, wanting to write tough stories and things. And then I started, you know, over the past 10 years or so, I, I started really looking at works of some of the, the filmmakers I admired, like Sam Peckinpah, who's, you know, again, a very macho auteur filmmaker, um, who's responsible for the wild bunch in films like that. Um, and realizing, like, for example, what an absolutely sentimental motherfucker Sam Peckinpah is. <laughs> um, and and how, and how the reason that like when someone dies in a peck and paw film is that you've, he is he's like he captures a sentimentality of that and of people missing them and of like making you care about the character before he kills him uh-huh. and so i became really interested in the use of sentimentality in fiction um and it's still a lot of people things people something that a lot of people sh- writers shy away from because they don't want to be seen as melodramatic or 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 sentimental so it's like a dirty word um, mm-hmm. But I swear to God, if you can make a re- reader cry, you will have them for the rest of their fucking lives.
1: Well, also, um, yeah, I agree, and also it, it 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 makes it makes the payoff in stories all that more. Yeah,
2: exactly. It, yes. It,
1: if you buy into that, then suddenly a loss is a huge thing or whatever. Yeah.
2: Don't ha- if you don't provide that emotional catharsis, it's not a satisfying story. You see a lot of yeah. that in comics where there's a lot of hyper violence just because you can draw anything on the page uh-huh. you can draw it you know, being blown to bits, but you don't care. Like it's just this huge, just guts on a page. Yeah. And, and yeah, because they're so interested in what they can do. They don't think about whether they should do it or whether it's appropriate or how to make people actually feel that that matters. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, comics are always doing things like destroying Mexico city. It's like, wow, you <laughs> destroyed a city. Or <laughs> and they completely fail to make that land as something that matters because they don't actually show any of the reactions of the people there. They don't make care in any way, except by any, some incredibly lame shorthand. So, yeah, I, I like to, I, you know, I, I've gone um, more and more towards emotional arts being being really, really central to my stories. Plus, plus you know, there's, there's still lots of violence.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when it does
0: come to, to you sitting down and saying, right, okay, I'm gonna I'm going to write a book now, you know, what is your writing process when it, do you do a lot of planning? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of um, research has got into the book. You, you can tell that by the, the level of detail, the, uh, the historical detail. But, I mean, how much do you plan? Do you kind of just go by the seat of your pants in terms, when it comes to plotting? What's your process there?
2: You know, I, I think you can pants things early on in your career. Um, but then, you know, after a certain point, when you've got so many other characters in your head, you've written so many books already, you really can't do that anymore. Um, I, I I almost never sort of sit down and be like, now I'm going to write a book on this. Um, I have a list of like story ideas in my notebook, you know, and I just write bits of them and ideas and start to do so. So, so like, you know, I'll, I'm thinking about, you know, I, I know what my third novel, third and fourth novels are going to be. I just, not, the second one's already sold to Rebellion Solaris. I've got Oh wow. Um, Heartbreak Incorporated um i better revise it i just haven't had time may is a killer for me um i have too many projects right now i i, I freelancer's disease I, I had like a lot of really great projects offered to me and i said yes to all of them
1: uh-huh.
2: and that was mildly unwise but you know i i'll sleep when i'm dead um <laughs> so um i you know i start thinking about story ideas and things that interest me and like sort of and feelings you know sometimes it'll just come from something i read um Uh, a a news report or something and it it gradually develops into something that's kind of an actual story rather than just lots of little threads about how I you know how I'm feeling or or some additional research and then once I've got a kind of a kernel of a story of like here are the main characters here's the here's the main here's where it's set here's what the the, here's what it's about from a story-wise not a plot-wise um then I can I start doing a lot more actual research nonfiction reading usually out of print autobiographies and and history books from A books um a secondhand bookseller network um bless them um and then at a certain point which can be years after the original idea it's kind of like okay well this is this is this is ready to write uh-huh. or this is ready for me to buy like 15 books and spend a summer researching it and writing it at the same time or outlining mm-hmm. it um i'll often do a kind of a uh, vomit out like a, a discovery chapter you know a first chapter sort of messy thing um, just to get my feelings out just to feel the voices of the characters and then I'll actually sit down from there and be like right and I, I'll plot through the rest of it and you know I say outline and I think a lot of young writers shy away from outlining things because they remember outlining things in school and how terrible it is um, Yeah, like you can't like the word outline is a bad word for what I do. It's more like I sketch. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's, it's almost illegible as English. Um, it, I mean, it's almost, my handwriting is almost illegible anyway, but, but what I'm actually writing down isn't really legible. Um, it, ideas, thoughts, plots, conflicts, you know, question marks. It's, it's all very messy, but it's like, here's, here's how they get from A to B. Yeah. And I know it's ready to write when I have the end and some of the primary conflict in the middle. Um, but I always know how it ends. I always know how it begins. I have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the middle. Sometimes it surprises me as I write it. Like, you know, the, the uh. sketch things, as you fill things in, sometimes you go off in other directions. But if you have an idea of what you want your end to be, and you have a really strong idea of, you know, the, 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 thing, you're, the, the thing you're actually writing about, yeah. as opposed to the plot, um, then you will get there. Uh, I think if you focus too much on plot, you have a problem because, um, and plotting, the thriller plotting comes very naturally to me. So that that's the thing I'm not worried about. Like I can take any scene and make it tense and, you know, two people in a kitchen, I can make it really dangerous, uh-huh.
1: you
2: know, just, just verbally. So I'm not mm-hmm. worried about that. Um, I'm worried about, am I, am I really understanding what the themes are? Do these characters have good arcs? Um, and then around that plot will happen.
1: And do do you show? I mean, obviously, when you're writing a comic, you'll be sending it out to the artist, and presumably, it's a collaborative process to to an extent. Even if you've come up with the story idea first, there'll be a bit of discussion um, back and forth. But with a novel, do you do you finish the whole draft before you show it to someone, or do you get do you give it to someone to look at and get some feedback at any point?
2: I mean, in both cases, I finish a, uh, um, a draft first. Um, I mean, you know, I have a wonderful agent, Nethro Tempest at the Night Agency, and she's, she's divine. Um, I, I, I moved to her from my previous agent because she, she does give a lot more advice and strategizing on the market. So, you know, for example, the, the novels three and four, I had ideas about them and I wrote them both out to her and said, do you have a preference on which one I focus on first? And one of them, I kind of said, this is what it is. And the other one, I like basically plotted out in the email. As I was writing, it. was like, oh yeah, and then this happens and then that happens. And I totally know what's going on now. <laughs> um, and as you wrote back, she's like, I know you plotted this one out in the email, but you should do the other one first. And I'm like, okay. But you know, I had I plot in the email, so that's fine. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> things never hurt. Long books are never hurt by being put aside for a little bit because I still have the notebook. I can go and if I have ideas, you know, as you often do when you're working on Project A and your brain wants, like, I joke that there's a thing called the Wife Project and the Mistress Project. You have the Wife Project, which is the one with the actual deadline that you're being paid to do, and then you have the Mistress Project, which is what the project you run away to when the Wife Project starts. And Eventually, you give the Wife Project to someone else, then the Mistress Project, and create a job vacancy. So that's how writing works. But yeah, so the, the one that I plotted out, I'm still jotting notes in a notebook about it um the the number th- the novel we decided to be number three novel I then went out and bought a bunch of books on and I haven't had time to read them yet even though they're all fascinating because this particular bit of research is really cool um but that will happen in in June July once some of my other projects settle down And uh, um,
1: w- when you're doing a lot of research um how do you get because you know sometimes writers especially writers starting out have that difficulty of they've done all this research and then it ends up all getting dumped into the story mm-hmm. and it kind of oh he, you're never sure you never show your work yeah exactly that's like yeah.
2: that's like it's mm-hmm. like, like, like giving someone a gift and leaving the price tag on you you mm-hmm. never you never let them know how much it cost you yep
1: yeah.
2: ever um i mean i've seen this especially with uh, some friends of mine in the military were laughing about one of their favorite genre writers who tends to put in way too much detail about weapons just to prove he can mm-hmm. And, like, I know these guys, and they would never talk about that normally. You, yeah. know? Uh, you know, like, you know, they talk about the optics and, and, like, you know, this kind of rack. And I'm like, <laughs> we're all sitting there, like, dude, calm down. Like, <sighs> so, um, you know, I don't think you should put enough... I, judging how much detail to put in is very difficult. But, as a you know, again, as, as a thriller writer and noir writer, I kind of look at it as in you put in just enough detail that if you pulled one more... P- Without the whole thing would collapse. Mm-hmm. Writing is basically Jenga, so if you can win it, win it. Writing, you just keep pulling those bricks out until you don't need them anymore. And that goes with characters and subplots and things like that. Just keep pulling them out. If they, you know, if 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 the structure will stand without them, they need to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense.
2: Uh, back to your comment on um, earlier on full scripts. You know, I'm unusual in comics writers in that I will write an entire script before the artist begins. Uh, partially because again, you know, I, I, uh, there's this Daniel Day Lewis quote there that say, you know, that someone asked him in an interview once, like, why does he do all this research for characters, um, so much more than other actors? He said, well, I'm not a good enough actor not to do the research. But I kind of feel that with the scripts, I'm not a good enough writer to like not write the rest of the script because I, 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 I don't know how long it's going to be until it's written. Uh-huh. I'll have an idea, but you know, if I promise somebody a 250 page book or a 10 issue mini series. And then I've got 60 more pages at the end of that. You know, I, I don't want to cram those into you know, the, the last issue and, and, and mess up the experience. I'd rather write the whole thing. And then also the, 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 the artist can read all the whole mm-hmm. thing and know, know what's going to happen and just figure out if they really want to draw it or not. And then they're free to like change things, you know, um, my, my scripts are suggestions, but you know, usually for, for, you yeah, know, even even at my stage of my career if I want to sell a novel I have to write the novel
0: uh-huh.
2: so you write the, like you you need to write the novel
0: <laughs> well, I mean I, I kind of wanted to ask about that so when, it, when you came to switching into the novel universe um, you know did you have an agent lined up or did you have had you made contacts in the comic well, had, world that you could had, carry over
2: I had my comic book agent who said he also um. did prose fiction but he didn't really do prose fiction um and so that was a problem um and that's why I eventually had to switch to a prose fiction agent because I could teach her how to do comics. I know everyone in comics.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, I didn't know anything about prose fiction, and I, you know, and now I know some editors. And I, I'm starting to build out my network. I still, I still need an agent. Um, and she's been really wonderful, and I've been really happy with her um, in terms of how she's shaping my prose career and helping me out to define myself and my and my path
1: within it. And are you still wanting to do both? You're still wanting to still keep writing yeah, comics, yeah. but I mean, also my do the prose goal, writing?
2: My goal going forward is to do a novel and a graphic novel a year.
0: Yeah, cool. Brilliant. Well, actually, that might take us on to, on to the next question, which was your new comic series, which you have coming out, is called Mad Eye? Is that how you say it? Maddie. Maddie, Maddie sorry. Um, and it's uh, co-written by Mr. Duncan Jones, of all people, well, which was very most exciting.
2: I, I, okay. I adapted it from a screenplay of his um and with him looking over it and like so i i we worked out of a google doc i do i did the adaptation on paper on the paper screenplay and i have it somewhere right okay i should see if we we should probably sell that as a kickstarter reward <laughs> um,
0: but how did that come about how did you how did you meet him and how did
2: that, that... At twitter like he was just asking oh okay her and i and you know I put together some big anthology projects and I just come off Twisted Romance, which got nominated for like three Eisners. Um, and I, and I, I'd, I'd done my book Ashes, which was done with a bunch of artists. And so he was looking for someone to pull the project together and do the adaptation and I offered and, you know, a lot of people were just kind of going, sure, I'll do it or like me, me mm-hmm. or something. And I just, I, I replied back kind of like, you, you know, it was what it was, it was a job interview. Uh-huh. Um. And said, here's you know, these are some things I've done. I can do this, you know. And I just come off you know, being nominated for four eisner so I looked like I knew what I was doing. Um, and we got to chatting over over DM, and and then and he hired me to do it. And I spent last summer doing the adaptation and then pulling the artists together. And now we're you know we're we're almost finished the book. I mean, I've still got wow. a lot. Of- 250 pages of it I'm you know as soon as I get off <laughs> the, the, the phone with you guys I'm back to lettering pages of Maddie and yeah I mean it's, it's a really it's a really wonderful book we've got an amazing group of artists lined up I mean so it didn't take like four years to come out we split it up between about 10 different artists because right. it's also a road wrote- script book so each artist would kind of own a location uh-huh. uh, and it felt very natural to move from artist to artist and I've done some structural things within the book um, to ease that transition in a way um so you're you're very easily moving from location to location without you know each artist tends to like their their section tends to open on a double page spread so you you have this kind of palette cleanser between one art style and another um that lets the new artist establish their style in completely their own space
1: that's awesome that, that that sounds great. So did you say that was on Kickstarter, or, or is it coming out?
2: It will be. We're just deciding whether to launch it on the 19th or the 25th of this month. Cool. So I think we're aiming for the 19th. Cool. Um, but we're still we're well, still discussing. For what,
1: for what it's worth, we'll give it a boost on the on our feeds as well, definitely. Uh, and back it probably as well, ourselves. Absolutely. That sounds that's really
0: interesting. Yeah. And I can't believe it's such a a random way that you guys met up, you know, that you, you, you kind of see these things, but you kind of think you never, I don't ever really give it much credit, you know, but someone with, the, with these kind of things, but it's, it, it seems like it really was meant to be, you know, you guys just meeting like that.
2: It, it does. I mean, he's been a, he's been a wonderful person to collaborate with. He's very open to ideas. Um, it's very like, I mean, it's his project. So ultimately like it's his word, um, And I'm very conscious of that. And though I brought, again, you know, I, I brought, all of myself to the project, as I always do with projects. There is no B project, only A projects. Um, and, you know, it's it's just been this incredibly civil, pleasant, fun um, experience. I mean, not that it hasn't been stressful. Any project is stressful, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's 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 the overall, like, managing a, a project with a lot of moving parts is stressful. Um, rather than like intergroup stress Uh it's not like we're not stressing each other out that essentially outside forces sometimes stress us out but you know the the stressful things have been funny like (laughs) we had we had a a couple we had a we brought on a couple of younger lesser known artists both of whom flaked out um one couldn't handle notes the other one couldn't handle deadlines and (laughs) we replaced them them with glenn fabry and rm Guerra.
1: Oh, not bad replacements. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, so you know, so so I I I'm looking at it as it was it was a sort of a karmic um benefit that they that they came on and and originally because if they hadn't then that wouldn't have gotten us to the process um with with Glenn who's who's a delight and 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 Rajko, who I've known forever. Um Glenn was a friend of Duncan's um uh, Rajko is a friend of mine. We just, you know, sometimes when people drop out at the last minute, you just call your friends because mm-hmm. you know they're, <laughs> they know they're going to show up and you know they're going to do it and they're going <laughs> to get up. Um, you know, uh, Scott Hampton had to cancel at the last minute because he had a conflict. Um, he was on to do a section, so we replaced him with Simon Bisley. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a, yeah, it's not, it's not <laughs> a bad substitute bench that you've got there and that you've got Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, we, uh, we, we did we did all right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I mean, it sounds ridiculous. We've already talked about a lot of your projects, but what else is in the pipeline for the next, <laughs> for next year or so?
2: I mean, I know it's not, I'm insanely busy right now, but um, I'm not normally this productive. I mean, I'm, I'm very steadily productive. I'm always working on a book. Mm. Um, it's just that some things got moved around. So stuff that I thought would happen last year ends up going into this year or next. Um, so sometimes when it looks like I have three books out in a year, I'm not really that productive. It's just that I've been doing things for a long time and the books all just happen to come together. Like, you know, like the number 15 bus. Um, so I've got this year, I've got Scottish boy coming out at the end of may in the UK from unbound. Um, please buy it. Uh, Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and if you need a big chunky escapist read, um reading about medieval europe um and knights will definitely take you out of your current troubles
1: yes um, absolutely <laughs>
2: um, um, uh, then in october i have a book called dracula motherfucker with eric <laughs> um, What a title and are these gigantic like 250 page graphic novels but in between them, I write trashy little horror books because I really loved garbage. The garbage sustains me. It is my home. This is not elevated horror. <laughs> this is just garbage. This is just splatter. I love it. I grew up watching all the wrong movies. Um, so Dracula Motherfucker is all about, is, was, was me rereading bits of Brown Stoker's Dracula, which is just such a wild book. Uh-huh. Um, and thinking a lot about Modern a modern Dracula. Um, around the time was it Moffat's Dracula that came out yeah. on BBC? Obviously, uh-huh. really my mm-hmm. nice sort of thing. Um, I don't like it when Dracula looks like a banker. Um, <laughs> or Mister Bean PhD. Um, and <laughs> uh, and I also realized that Jonathan and Mina's son Quincy had the most accidentally black name in literature. Now. Yeah. <laughs> like quincy harker that's a black name like, <laughs> like, like, like you know if you just saw the name on paper and someone went what race is that person you'd be like they black <laughs> you know, person jackson written down and didn't know anything about the rick lordy books You'd be like, yeah that's black um <laughs> and so i'm like well why not like let's let's make you know let's make this guy a, a black crime scene photographer in 1974 los angeles because why not oh. it's fun yes, and I if see. we're going to bring dracula back anywhere else let's bring him back somewhere new because people always try to recreate gothic horror by bringing dracula back somewhere like london yeah you know or some big city where they can have lots of shadows and I, you know i thought like the isolation and being preyed on in los angeles to me is far creepier and i think oh. it's much more fun to put him and you know, we don't do, like, handsome, heartthrob Dracula. This is much more, like, eldritch, sh- nameless, shapeless horror Dracula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because, like, he doesn't need to be attractive to seduce wives. Like, he has power. Like, nobody has ever in their entire life wanted to fuck Harvey Weinstein. Not even his wife. I guarantee you. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the few people who did so willingly... Did it entirely because of the power that they could receive by by engaging in that transaction. Um and you do not need to make Dracula beautiful. Because there that, are- sounds, that sounds great. Yeah, and I based a lot of it on um uh Japanese super flat art and horror anime, uh like Helsing. I don't know if you ever watched Helsing or, you know, Full Metal Alchemist, some of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have a pride in, full, in, in FMA Brotherhood? Like, you know, like you don't need to have a, a corporeal form to be really pants-shittingly terrifying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, I know exactly um, what you mean, yeah.
2: You know, if, 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 you're a, if you're the equivalent of the monster under the bed, the, the nameless shapeless thing in the shadows. You're, you're much scarier than if you're, you know, a, a, a person. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And oh, so, that's, that sounds great.
0: I'm really excited yeah. for that now, I have to say. It's a really interesting concept. I like that a lot.
2: 72 page hardback from image it's the same format as the Prue baker phillips um hardbacks you know just something short and fun and and kind of ridiculous that we can do together and i look at those little books as kind of exper- like experiments you know mm-hmm. both for me to write really to an artist's style so i uh, and, and eric is a wonderful horror artist she's never done a ton of horror that has been seen in book form and people think of her doing more like action comedy but she's just terrific um, and I always knew she'd be terrific at it, so I was. I'm very pleased to be helping her show this side of her work to people. Um, and it was about you know there was for me. It was ex- about exploring um, like 2D versus 3D art in in, in the book. Um, then in November, I for uh, American Veterans Day, which is early November, I've got an anthology coming out called True War Stories, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's autobiocomics by you know, current and former soldiers, American soldiers um, from pretty much all branches of the American Armed Forces, except the Coast Guard. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, you know, from Vietnam to now. Um, And they're like, my co-editor, Kai, who's a, who's a, who's a Iraq war veteran, um, and myself are just floored by the quality of the stories in the book because you know anthologies are anthologies like you expect a couple of standout stories and then there's some uh-huh. like this is all killer no filler it's really like we're amazed um, and the stories you know that they're, they're not about American military might they're not propaganda they're just like they're just auto stories about people who lived in uh-huh. extraordinary circumstances Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they really bring out a lot of the humanity that's been forgotten in discussions of the war um, because we don't talk about the people we only talk about the, the, the propaganda or the effort Or we talk about people when they die and that's it yeah that, that's true in, in the US between you know, folks who are in the military or have relatives in the military and like everybody else like, there's just a complete gulf of understanding of what goes on so we did this and it's, uh-huh. it's really beautiful and really like I could, I could quite happily just help people write autobiocomics for the rest of their lives. I didn't write any of this, obviously. Like I just, I, I took comics and essays, comic scripts and essays that people wrote who were generally non-professional writers and made them into solid comic strips as, did my, as did my co-editor uh-huh. who is, too, um, is a really great writer in her own right. Um, and there's some really sweet stuff. Like both the Vietnam stories are being done by father-daughter teams. You know, awesome. father, that, that, that sounds really interesting. And in one case, the daughter drew it, and the and the other case, she adapted it to script. Um, wow. So there's like there's just a lot of humanity in this project. And it makes me really happy. And then of course, the awesome. project Maddie would yep. come out. If Thought Bubble happens, we're going to debut it at Thought Bubble. Awesome. That sounds like
0: an incredibly varied and action-packed year or so you've got coming up ahead of you.
2: Yep, four books.
1: What was the last book that you read?
2: Golly, um, yesterday, and it was uh, uh, Gu adaptation of In the Mountains of Madness. Oh,
0: cool! Is it is it good? Okay.
2: I mean, it's lo- like the art is amazing. The story is Lovecraft.
0: Yeah, that, um, I only really know that story, oh, the 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 name of it from Del Toro was wanting to do an adaptation of it, but then Prometheus came out and he said, "Well, there's no point now." So I kind of
2: yeah. Um, uh, I mean, like I, you know, it's it's a like it's a it's it's two small graphic novels put out by Dark Horse, uh, translated by a friend of mine, Zach Davison, who's one of the, one of the best. Japanese translators for manga, working in the U.S. right now, and it's uh, you know, like it's it's fun. Like it's I, I, I'm I'm I have I have reservations about Lovecraft that go far beyond his racism and anti-Semitism, <laughs> um, but I you know everyone said this art the art was so amazing and it really is. But I'm also sitting there reading it like okay. You know this is full of aliens who killed your friend, and you're going to go towards the sound rather than away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was
0: pretty much my promise. Prometheus there, as well was. Yeah. There's
2: a lot of you sitting there going, "No, that's a really dumb idea. Don't do that." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's uh, a little middle section about like you know the, the the ancient ones and Cthulhu fighting in the oceans, and I'm just like down, like Lovecraft, sit down. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it wasn't a book I'll pick up again and be like oh my god this is so wonderful everyone has to read it but it was fun and I'm glad I read it cool,
0: uh, cool. what about the last film you saw
2: oh um, it was called The Wonderland and it was an anime and I watched it uh, an anime, a brand new animated film uh, from Japan and I watched it on Friday with my daughter
0: nice is it worth a watch
2: uh, if you've got kids who are sort of uh, 7 to 10 I'd say yes especially girls
1: oh cool that's Marco's wheelhouse right there. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. well,
2: yeah. I, I, <laughs> I watched it, it was streaming from a couple of the uh, New York art house cinemas. You could do something where you streamed it and the. Right. I don't know if it's.
1: Okay I'll, I'm sure, I'll Google it yeah. and they'll be, they'll, I'll be able to find yeah, it. I
2: mean, it's, it's, really, it's really sweet and lovely and very cool. visually imaginative. So, yeah, usually cool. every Friday night, my daughter and I sit down and watch an animated film.
1: Nice. Oh, yeah, nice. Um, and uh, last TV show or that you watched or a series that you're watching? I don't now. have time
2: for TV shows. I, I hardly ever watch them. Yeah, <laughs> <Fair laughs> enough. I you,
1: know,
2: I, I, you know, I've, I've, I have i i have 3 books due at the end of the month. Uh, if you think I have time to watch TV show, you're out of your minds. Um, <laughs> I watch movies a lot more because I can't commit to something that that takes more than you know two or three, that I can't get the fun and done within the night.
0: Um, and the the, well, the very last thing we do is always a, an either or. So uh, just the first the first one that comes to your mind when I say either uh, Braveheart or the Outlaw King.
2: Um, Outlaw King, just because Woad wasn't a thing. Stop it! Like, the, like
1: <laughs>
2: having, having, having written a lot about uh, th- you know the thirteen hundreds, um, I, I can't say anything about Braveheart because of I, I haven't even seen the Outlaw King. And I'm not, I'm going to not pick Braveheart just because of. <laughs> 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 cool. Um,
1: uh, a, a real book or an ebook?
2: Um, I, um, I prefer a real book. Cause I spend so much time on the screen that I like to get it. Like reading a book at night, um, is uh, on paper is, is more restful for me.
1: And yeah. also if
2: it's research, I, uh, um, I, I really want a real book, so I want to open next to the screen and um, yeah, you know, yeah. in the margins and dog ear the pages, um, like like the like the, the complete vandal that I am.
0: <laughs> and uh, one more: uh, eat in or eat out? In normal, times. yeah, in normal times. Obviously, it's everything's eaten at the moment.
2: <laughs> uh, I prefer. I mean, I mean, either like I, I we eat in a lot just because I live in a big city. where going out is expensive. Um, and I'm a good cook. So, um, but right now I would give my eye teeth to go out to dinner. Oh my God. I I never order in. I I don't know why I just don't. So I'm like, why am I ordering in when I could just make the food? Um, but I just, I want to go to a restaurant. I really do. (laughs)
1: I think everyone would agree with her that they can't wait to get back to a restaurant at the moment. Absolutely. I can't, especially with the,
0: uh, the Golden Arches, counting <laughs> down the day, still my, my favourite restaurant we, we opened.
1: <laughs> yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be a while, I think, before I feel ready to go into a proper restaurant, I have to say, and have a sit-down meal. But um, it's, it's
0: interesting how many places have just started doing the basically takeaways and stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I imagine that will be the norm still for a wee while to come.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. But um, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Alex. We certainly did. I, I really got a lot out of that. I think she had a lot of useful hints and tips there. And yeah. And some really good insights into what she's working on in... Uh, I like the sound of Dracula, motherfucker, I have to say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, the name itself is obviously very intriguing, but the, uh, the, the idea of it is, it's, it's, it sounds like something quite original. I've not yeah. really seen it before. So yeah, I'll definitely be checking out yeah. when it's released.
1: And then, of course, there are the other projects she was talking about there, The Scottish Boy, uh, which is just out in the UK, so you can order that now. And uh, Maddie, which is on Kickstarter, the, the Duncan Jones project that she's doing. Um, So we'll put links to all of these things in the podcast description and also on uh, the website page for this episode, so you can check all of that out and get get all that information there. Um, Next week, we've got uh, Alexandra Sokolov on the podcast, who is a novelist and screenwriter, and she's written, in particular, a lot of books about how you can use movies and screenwriting to help you structure a better story and in particular a better book so you can use the techniques of screenwriting when you're when you're writing a book and I thought it was a really really interesting chat that we had with her.
0: Yeah I think if you're an aspiring or sorry I shouldn't say that word that's a bad word if you're just a writer yes. uh, a, a, a writer of novels or of scripts I think she's got a lot of really good tips I think probably maybe more so for the novelist because as Marco says, there's a lot of really interesting techniques you can take from scriptwriting and apply to the to, mm-hmm. the to the novel way. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff. So I think if you're interested in that stuff, definitely tune in next week.
1: And also, she chats about how difficult it is for someone to break into the screenwriting industry, especially if you're not based in <laughs> LA. So that was interesting as well, I thought. Um, and
0: interesting and heartbreaking. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's, that's me
1: throwing all my scripts in the bin. <laughs> that's 10 years wasted. <laughs> yeah. um, before we go, I did just want to uh, plug a couple of things, um, as well as the video panels that we mentioned at the start of the episode, which we would love to have your questions on, and we'll be posting information about that on our social media channels. We also do a notebook called the Page One Notebook, which is a specially designed notebook to help you plan and structure your next story. It's divided into sections. It's got templates for things like characters and stuff like that. So please do check that out on our website. The link is in the podcast description. And we would also love if you could take a couple of minutes just to... Uh, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts because that really helps our visibility and helps us continue to get great guests on the podcast
0: Yeah, we've got some really exciting vote lined up for season four, but it's only possible as long as everyone out there keeps sharing keeps keeps liking, keeps reviewing and keeps sending in questions
1: Yeah, so uh, thanks again for tuning in and uh, we'll speak to you next week See you then <laughs>